thank you for checking out the Travel Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Christine Goss. When it comes to travel, the best ideas don't come from guidebooks, travel sites, or Google. They come from other travel junkies. Travel junkies are filled with interesting nuggets of information and ideas for your next adventure, once you get them talking. And that's what the Travel Nuggets podcast does. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Music Play. And to learn more information about the tips shared on this podcast, visit us online at travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com or join our Facebook community. To share feedback or suggest a topic or guest, send me an email at travelnuggetspodcast.gmail.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome to Travel Nuggets, Jaya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So this episode, I'm ex- I'm very, very excited about because it, to me, epitomizes the whole concept of Travel Nuggets, which is highlighting a spot that people haven't thought about going, never crossed their mind. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So Jaya, tell us about how you ended up in Rwanda. Uh, That's an interesting question. As you know, I work in global health and development. So in my previous job, I used to travel quite a bit internationally for work. And I ended up in Rwanda as one of my last assignments with my previous job to do a training uh, with the Rwanda School of Public Health. And I was there for two weeks of work. So I went ahead and extended my time for another few days to go uh, check out the gorillas. Well, that's exactly what, when we were, we were talking and I told you I was planning this Travel Nuggets podcast, you said, oh, I'll have to tell you about the gorillas. And it never crossed my mind in that initial conversation to say, okay, but where did you see the gorillas? It was just the gorillas. Um, so that's really what popped out of this whole trip for you. So how did you... We're going to dig into this experience because it is just phenomenal. But how did you, once you were in Rwanda, know that there was this guerrilla experience to um, participate in? So actually, uh, you know, full disclosure, I didn't really know a whole lot about the guerrilla experience. I knew you could go see them in Rwanda and other uh, some other countries uh, in East Africa, so namely uh, uh, Uganda and uh, DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and of course Rwanda. And one of my co-workers and a good friend of mine had actually just come back from Rwanda. Uh, we have a mutual friend who used to work with us, and but then moved over to Foreign Service and is based in Rwanda with USAID. So our mutual, my friend who worked with me here in DC had just come back from a trip visiting her and said, and when I told her I was going to Rwanda, she said, you have to go see the gorillas. I don't care if you don't have time available. I don't care what you have to do, but you must go see the gorillas. So initially I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm not necessarily the most avid hiker. Could I do this? Because she's telling me more about it. But, you know, over the course of a week or two before I had to make my trip, she's convinced me that I should go to the gorillas and go see the gorillas. Okay, so walk us through, start to finish, the whole gorilla experience in Rwanda. What does that entail? Okay, great. So you can see the gorillas in the Volcanoes National Park, which is about two and a half hours from Kigali. I was in Kigali for work for about two weeks. So once I finished my work, 
I extended my trip for about three days to go you know, check out and do the whole gorilla experience. So I left uh, Kigali. You know, I had already organized with a tour group that does all these uh, trips to go see the gorillas. And they came and picked me up from my hotel where I was staying in Kigali, took me to the town. It's about two and a half hours from Kigali called Musanzi. And I stayed there in a lodge. And the next day they come pick you up early in the morning around 7 a.m. And um, they take you. It's about a 20, 30 minute drive to the actual entrance of the park where all the people who are going to be trekking come together and you meet, you come with the, whichever organization company you're going with. And, you know, they say the day starts off with, you know, they have to take care of a lot of little logistics component to make sure that they are ready to take you up to go see the gorillas. So Rwanda, what I really liked about this was that Rwanda is actually one of the safest places to do this. And they also really focus on conservation instead of just taking as many people as they want to go see the gorillas. So they have to break down how many people are allowed to go, go see the gorillas. And you have to get a permit ahead of the time for the specific day that you really want to go see the gorillas. So that has to all be sorted out before. And I think they give about maybe 200 or so uh, permits per day to go see the gorillas. So we arrived at the, at the entrance of the park around 7, 7.30 in the morning. You know, they do a lot of, they show you some of the Rwandese dancing and entertainment while the company that you are with, uh, that outfit will organize for getting your permits ready and get everything else organized. And they also ask you, and this is really important, I think for everyone to know that they organize you based on your ability, like your physical ability to be able to do these uh, treks because you're going into the jungle. So that's not a place where you want to lie and say, hey, yes, I'm an avid hiker when you're not. And I would probably fall into like, you know, low to medium level hiker. So I told them that. So based on that, they organize you in groups because they have these gorilla trackers who go out the day before and they know where you can more or less find all the different gorilla families. Okay, and so, so just backing up, um, you said that they limit entry to about 200 people a day. And I actually, um, and just to repeat, it's called Volcanoes National Park. That's right. And for you, I think you had said that permit cost about $750. I looked it up and now it has grown significantly. I think it's about 1500 1500 that's right. Yeah, and, and that does go to conservation. So it is, um, it, it's, you know, being used to, to preserve the area, but it's not a inexpensive vacation, so to speak. Most, most definitely not. So uh, I think because I was, all, like I had said to you before, like I was already there for work. So I thought, you know, this is once in a lifetime opportunity. I didn't have to pay for my ticket to get here. So the least I can do is afford, uh, you know, spend the $750 to go see the girl. So that's what I did. But like you said, I mean, that was something I had to consider before I made that decision, even though I didn't have to pay for my ticket. It was still not a cheap excursion. You know, it's not a cheap adventure, but most definitely uh, my most memorable experience. I would say. Okay. So they divide you up by physical ability because you actually hike in the jungle to find these gorillas. That's right. So, you know, there's about, I believe there's about 10 families of gorillas 
that have been habituated that you can go visit. And, you know, they're not all uh, in one particular park, uh, part of the park. So they, they're spread out throughout. So these um, trackers, gorilla trackers know where to find them. So if, you know, there's a family that's about four hours away, you don't want to be, you know, then not in the best physical shape and hiking four hours into the jungle to go see the gorillas because that's not going to really work out well for you or for the rest of the group. So based on your physical ability, they will uh, break you down. I mean, still no guarantee that the gorillas will be exactly where the trackers found them the night before, but more or less, that's how it is. So the group I was in, I think we hiked about maybe an hour and a half. I was probably in like the mid-level group. So we hiked about an hour and a half or so before we actually uh, encountered the gorillas. Okay, so <laughs> what was that encounter like? Uh, I think, like I said, it was probably one of the most amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience. You, know, you are first, you're hiking through just, uh, you know, it starts off being sort of flat. It had rained a lot the day before, so it was really muddy and sticky. And then you go up. And then you are basically hiking through the jungle with a lot of bamboo and other brush. And then, you know, you just keep going, keep going, and you hope you're going to see them. And then all of a sudden you hear the, your guide tell you to come to, you know, basically hush and complete silence um, because they have spotted the gorillas. And first, no matter how many times you've heard that, like that you still can't believe you're about to see them. And when you see them, I think my eyes must have literally popped out of my socket because here you are so close to them. I was literally, I think I showed you a couple of my pictures. I was literally less than, you know, five to six feet at times away from them. And you just feel, or I, I should say, actually just instantly felt more of like a human connection with them. Um, I could see the emotion in their eyes. It just felt so human. Granted, we also share about 98% of our DNA with them, so perhaps that makes more sense. And, you know, you're not supposed to stare them right in the eye, but, you know, a couple of times I felt like I had that looking right at them, and I just felt this connection, and it felt like they wouldn't harm me. They would not harm me, even if, um, you know, they're right there. They wouldn't do anything to me if I behave the way the guard, the trackers and our guide had told us to behave in a certain manner that we had been instructed to do. I didn't think anything would happen. And it was just the most amazing, like I said, one of a lifetime experience. So how many gorillas and were they families, moms, dads, were there babies? Yeah. So we saw, so there, like I said, there's about 10 or so families and the family that we saw is called the Agesha family, the Agesha group. And uh, if my memory serves me right, it was about 17 of them in the family, which includes the mom, the dad, and the kids, you know, the baby gorillas. So the male gorilla is called a silverback, and they're these huge gorillas. They're about, you know, I think about 400 to 500 pounds. And then there's the female gorilla, of course, and then the whole family. And right when we, initially when we, um, encountered the first one I think was the female gorilla and then soon thereafter we saw the silverback which is the male gorilla and they are just larger than life creatures and after that we saw a bunch of little baby gorillas and you see them running around and playing and holding on to their mom 
I mean, that's why I felt like there was this human connection. It just feels like how we behave as human beings and is how the gorillas behave. Well, you had said that you felt you could see their emotions. So what were the emotions that you felt like they were exuding? To me, it just felt warmth. And that's why I feel like I kept looking, not direct stare, which is not what you're supposed to do. But I you know, kept looking at them because I just felt this warmth in their eyes, especially I feel like the the silverback, which I kept looking at because he was literally sitting right there, feet away from me. And um, I just felt that, you know, I could go, I mean, obviously I was not going to do that, but I felt like I could go just sit in his lap kind of thing or sit around and he would wrap his arms around me or something. Um, so that, that's why I wasn't, and I'm not necessarily like the super, super adventurous person per se. And, you know, I had some friends say, you're crazy. You're still seeing an animal. They could attack you. You know, when I was looking up some information, there's never been any gorilla attack on a human being uh, in the jungle ever. So it may be because they're habituated. Maybe they just, we can relate to them. There's some kind of a, you know, connection that we have from prehistoric times. I don't know, but I, I just felt like I was visiting sort of family. You know, it's, as you were describing it, as you were describing this trip to me and this experience, it just kept reminding me of the safari that I went on. And it's almost like a safari plus in that you can get out there out of the vehicle. Cause the one negative thing I would say about a safari is how sedentary it is. You have to drive around, but there's no guarantee that you're going to see these animals. So you just have to keep driving around looking for them. Um, but I love that you were able to kind of get out there and get so close to them. But when you said that, you know, when you first set eyes on these gorillas and seeing them in their natural habitat, it was something that's even hard to put into words. It's nothing like seeing an animal in the zoo or in your house. It's like when I saw a giraffe in the wild and then you see a whole bunch of them all of a sudden because they blend in. So it's weird. You fixate on one and then all of a sudden you realize that they're surrounded by other giraffes. They just look so majestic standing so tall in their natural environment and the expression on their faces is so funny they're like not afraid of you but they're just and they're not even curious they're just kind of like what are you doing here you know it's just they have this this way of observing you um so did you find that the gorillas were just as interested in you or were they just going about your their daily lives and you were just watching yeah, I think they're used to humans and it's probably like, oh, it's you again, uh, you know, another group of people. Um, so I didn't feel like we were intruding on them. They were just busy doing their, you know, regular business, like the silverback lying on his back and just playing or the mother, the female gorilla doing her thing and kids running around, some feeding on her, some holding her hands. A couple of times I had like the baby gorilla just passed me by literally not even like a foot away from me. And the guide was like, don't worry, just stay still, don't move. And that's fine. They may smack you. They may hit you. They may even come hold your hand and think they're just so used to you. It didn't happen to us, unfortunately. It didn't happen to me, but I did um, hear of another family where the, the guy, their son was taking a picture and a baby gorilla just came and grabbed his finger so oh, um 
yeah so i just felt like they're used to us they're like oh it's you again you've come to watch us okay and i mean at times it feels like you are looking into the mirror when you look at them you know, i think that's why the, i was so caught and stuck on the part of the emotion i feel from their eyes because it's like they're looking at you and you're looking at them and, and you feel this oh we belong you know we know each other <laughs> All right. So the next day you did a similar excursion where you went to go see the monkeys and they're specifically yellow monkeys. Um, tell us about that. You said it was actually a little bit of a letdown. I know. I Poor yellow monkeys. I feel so bad for them because I feel that after having such a grand and a majestic and an emotional experience that I had with the gorillas, I didn't feel the same connection to the the yellow monkeys and i feel like at times we actually had to hike a little bit more just to spot them and they were all spread out all over the place and it's unfair for me to say you know oh i don't know if it's worth seeing them uh because i was just so taken by the gorillas the day before but they are they're really cute little creatures as well as you know monkeys and they just run around do their own thing as well running from one tree to another jumping all over the place so it was nice to see them but as you said you know I never even mentioned the monkeys until someone says so what else did you do while you're there I'm like oh yeah and the second day I went and saw the yellow monkeys was the fee to see them equally hot were they also in Volcano National Park yes they're part of the Volcano National Park so you start off the hike around the same place and then it just comes I was thinking wait I have to go back into the same jungle to go see them you start off the same and then you start diverged a little bit. So I am trying to remember there's no exorbitant fee for seeing the, the yellow monkeys. So I think it might have been like a hundred dollars or something. Nothing close to what it was for for the gorillas. Okay, so I'm actually interested in Rwanda in general, because for many of us, we do think of the Rwandan genocide, uh, which was all over the news, at least when I was a kid. And, you know, no one in there, no one would ever think to go to Rwanda. And I even read an autobiography um, called Left to Tell by Immaculee um, Ilibagiza. Um, and she talks about her experience hiding in a bathroom um, while, you know, her people were slaughtered, basically. Um, so it's hard to even imagine that a country could recover, um, even within themselves, from such such a horrific experience but from what you said it just seems like it's thriving wounds have healed tell us more about Rwanda um so it's really interesting because people don't talk about it and I think that healing was a necessary part of being able to move on otherwise they wouldn't have been able to you know move on from having suffered from such a horrific experience like the genocide where as we all know, like in about 100 days, in 94, about 800,000 people were slaughtered. So people in general have everybody, you know, because I was also there for work, I interacted with all the Rwandese people while I was there. And I would broach the subject a little bit just because that's what, like you said, that's what we generally think about. And no one talks about what they're... Um, uh, what if they're ethnic what kind of uh, uh, ethnicity they have but then being the Rwandese is you know if they're Hutu or if they're Tutsi they don't know when even talks about it it's actually I believe it might be even considered 
illegal at this point for them to talk about what their ethnic background is because that was part of the reconciliation and being able to move forward. So obviously everyone lost someone from their family during this uh, period of time, but people have really made efforts to move forward as a country and as a nation and start, you know, begin with their healing process. So that's what they focus on. There is an amazing, really touching, uh, you know, really hits your soul. Um, uh, what's it called? I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. It's a genocide museum um, at, in, in Kigali itself, which actually was included as part of my tour when I left Kigali to go to the park uh, to start my, you know, the gorilla expedition sort of. Uh, they took me to the to the genocide museum, which they have done an excellent job in capturing everything that went on at that time. So it's definitely worth someone's while if they're going to go to Rwanda to go check that out as well. So Kigali, um, just so listeners are aware, is the capital city. Um, and so you spent a significant amount of time there. It has seven mountains, correct? That's right. That's right. Set the scene. What is what is the city look like? Oh, it looks so beautiful. I think Rwanda itself is called the land of thousand mountains or thousand hills. Sorry, um, and so you're just smack in the middle of all these all these hills all around you. It's a very hilly town. President of Rwanda, Paul Kigami, is really particular about making sure that Rwanda stays on the map for all it has to offer and the prosperity it has achieved over the last 20 some years. So, and I would say Rwanda and Kigali in particular are considered the cleanest city in all of Africa and they're very proud of it. Uh, every last Saturday of the month, all people of Rwanda are actually required to take part in what's called like the National Cleanup Day. The word for that is Umuganda, and it happens every Saturday, and people, everything is actually closed. I, I want to say it's about, so maybe noon or one o'clock, and the reason I learned about this was because we actually had a workshop that Saturday, and they, all the our participants told us that they couldn't start the workshop until one o'clock because of National Cleanup Day. So everyone is required to clean their community, take pride in it, and take ownership of how they present their city as well as the country at large. That is interesting. That's an interesting yeah. tradition. I wonder how that would play out here. Yeah, and not only <laughs> that, and this is back in 2016, and they had already banned, there was no plastic available. You're not allowed to bring any plastic into the country either. Huh. So it's really interesting. They have trash cans everywhere. Like you literally don't see anyone litter. It's, it's unbelievable like how clean they keep it. it it's really incredible. Well, so on that note, is it a safe city to walk around in? Uh, I, I, from my understanding, it's a, it's quite a, it's you know, as any city would be, you'd have to be careful. But generally speaking, yes, Kigali is a, is a safe city for you to be able to walk around. You just have to take normal precautions like you would. It also has a huge, um, you know, it's a small city. It also has a huge expat community. So there's a lot of, you know, international organizations and other NGOs and other people working in, in Kigali. So I would consider it to be um, a, a safe city, a walkable city, a hilly city. So it's a good way to get your exercise as well when you're walking around. Of course, there are probably pockets of the city that you're not supposed to, may not be the safest, but I wasn't, I didn't go to any place where I felt unsafe. Yeah, so walk us through the demographic makeup because 
you know, it is a French colony or I guess, well, the French colonized it. So you said it was pretty international. It is. And it's actually the Belgians who colonized it. Oh. Um, and uh, they, so until 1994, until after the genocide, French was one of the, was one of their official languages along with their local language, which is called Kenya Rwanda. So there's Kenya Rwanda, there's Swahili, and there used to be French, but after 1994, they added English. So, you know, I speak very basic French. So when I was there in Rwanda, I didn't have to worry about it at all. Everybody, everyone I interacted with spoke English. You know, now if you're going to the markets and things like that, you know, people have some broken English as you would find in any other country where, you know, English is not necessarily their first language. But yeah, I didn't have any problems and, um, you know, everyone spoke English and I felt comfortable walking everywhere. Actually, I think I was telling you, Rwanda, Kigali is the only place where I actually got in a, in a taxi and uh, he said, oh, do you want to use your phone? And I told him, oh, I couldn't because I don't have an international data plan. I can only use Wi-Fi. And he says, oh, no, I have a hotspot in my taxi so you can use your, you can use your phone. So, so they are making a lot of progress. It's advancing, um, you know, by leaps and bounds, and um, it's making its place on the map. Okay, so you you had mentioned that you can get a pretty wide array of international food there as well, pretty much anything you want. But tell us about Rwandan food. What popped in your head? Uh, or what popped from this trip um, about what people should should get if they're there? So. I got to eat a lot of different Rwandan food because it was specifically because I was there for the training. You know, anywhere you go where you're surrounded by more international folks, especially like, for example, if you're doing the gorilla hike and things like that, they will cater. I mean, there will always be some Rwandan food, but they will give you more of your, you know, international cuisine. So I was fortunate that I got to eat quite a bit of the Rwandan cooking. They use uh, like similar to other parts within um East Africa, they eat a lot of plantains, they eat a lot of sweet potatoes and beans and cassava, and they make this thing called ugali, which is basically made out of cassava paste with water. So it's kind of like almost, hmm, what the best way to describe would be more like a porridge-like consistency. It's eaten all over East Africa, and you can put some kind of stew, like a, you know, chicken stew or fish or beef or whatever other meat, and you can eat that. So it replaces rice most times. And it's quite dense and heavy. And I usually try to not eat that if I have to continue working, but because it just kind of sits in your stomach. But it's very flavorful when you add all the other, you know, accompaniments to it. And um, and also they eat a lot of, I've noticed that all over East Africa, they eat a lot of um, sweet potatoes and also sweet potato uh, greens and pumpkin greens are used as a vegetable. So they, that's very popular. Um, Another thing that's really popular is uh, they're called bruschettes, which is basically kebabs. So, you know, based on like they eat a lot of goats and, um, you know, chicken and beef and whatnot. So you can get all kinds of bruschettes on from a street vendor to at a high end um, you know, restaurant that you go to. So um, plenty to choose from. But I think I had mentioned to you what sticks in my mind when I think about Rwanda is uh, and I tend to eat on the spicier side. So they have this thing called akabanga, which is a chili oil, and it's made out of habanero. 
uh, and it is super, super spicy. It's great for, you know, dropping. Literally, you need maybe one or two drops on your food or on your soup, and that will that will give it a crazy kick. Um, so that is something that sticks in my mind when I think about Rwandan food. And the other thing that they're super famous for is uh, their coffee, which I find, you know, you don't hear about it a whole lot here, but it's a little underrated, I think, over here. Um, it has a great sweetness to it. And if you're a coffee drinker, you know, you really enjoy it. Well, it sounds like Rwanda should should be on my bucket list. Um, but thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about this this hidden gem in Africa. I mean, it's just not a place that a lot of people think about. So I appreciate you coming on and, and telling us more about it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad I could share my experience. And I really hope other people will go and experience Rwanda because it's a beautiful country and people are amazing and very friendly and very nice. All right. Well, thanks again. And I hope to have you back. Thank you, Christine. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Travel Nuggets. I'll post more information about this episode, including helpful links on the Travel Nuggets website. Please visit travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com. There, you can check out additional episodes or download them wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. Email me at travelnuggetspodcast at gmail.com or join the Travel Nuggets Facebook group to share your thoughts and ideas. See you next time.